Good morning, Saltbox. Welcome. That is uh, Dr. Clive Calver. We are so grateful for him. He's the chairman of our elder board. If you haven't met he and Ruth, please get over and meet them. They've been ministering abroad. Um, we are doing, uh, we are in the middle of a, between a couple sermon series, so we just, I decided to do a kind of a one-off, so this is just a one day only, um, and we're going to talk about a, a subject that is coming across my radar more and more, both personally and in our culture. So we're going to take a look at anxiety and overcoming anxiety. Um, so let me just give you a, a, a brief overview of sort of what's coming. Uh, next week we have Graham Kendrick, so he'll actually be in here Sunday morning also. So he's going to be playing Friday and Saturday night at Rolling Grice Middle School, um, and he will play and speak and teach. And then Sunday morning he will be in here, both playing, ministering, and he will also do some teaching. Um, and then after that, we're going to do a, it's a three-part series on Ephesians, really an exegetical look at the book of Ephesians called Sit, Walk, Stand. It is a fascinating look at um, how we're really to journey with Christ Jesus. After that, we're going to launch into our Advent series. Um, and then in the new year, we're going to take an exegetical look at the book of Philippians. So anyway, that's a little preview of sort of what's coming down the line. Um, I've got three passages we're going to look at today as we jump into anxiety. And I think we have them up there. <clears throat> I'm going to start with Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to read it in my Bible and let you guys read it up there or on your, in your Bible or your device. I would say, if you don't have a paper Bible, get one. If you come up here and look at mine, I've got stuff scribbled in it everywhere, and I have dates and little things. And it's really funny because I know where stuff is in here that I don't know where it is on my phone. Like, I can just look at it and know, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that verse that I'm looking for. So a paper Bible, I know that's old school if you're young and you're like, oh, no, no, I use you version. That's great. But you might want to think about an old school Bible as well. Okay, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to flip to Matthew, 20, or Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. I don't usually do this, but we're doing it today, three passages. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. 
Our last passage is 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Holy Spirit, as we open your word today, would you enliven our hearts, would you enliven our minds, Lord, would you conform us into the likeness and image of Christ Jesus, and Lord, we would remind ourselves that we've been crucified with you, those of us who are in Christ, and we no longer live, but you live in us. So Father, as we deal with this concept, as this subject of anxiety, would you give us wisdom, would you bring healing, would you bring revelation, and would you send us out by your Spirit, in your name we pray, amen. Uh, The first passage we read was Philippians, and Paul was actually writing that chained up in a Roman prison. So he was chained possibly to a guard. He was in very poor living conditions. He had no idea what his sentence would be, and he had no idea whether he would live or die. I would say that's probably cause for some anxiety. And yet, the great apostle Paul, sitting in that situation, in in a place where he could have been full of anxiety, says, be anxious for Nothing. So I began to look up, what is anxiety? So Webster defines it as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an uh, imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. The Encyclopedia of Psychology defines it as an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure, Um, People who struggle with anxiety, it goes on to say, often have reoccurring um, intrusive thoughts or concerns, and they may even avoid certain situations and have physical symptoms such as sweating, trembling, dizziness, or rapid heartbeat. Now, some of you are sitting out there going, I know exactly what you're talking about, Michael, because I experience anxiety from time to time. What I want to do this morning is I actually want to take a holistic approach to it, okay, In other words, um, I just sort of want us to acknowledge together that anxiety has many, many, many components, and I can't tie it up into one simple thing. Um, I think we'd have to say there's probably a mental component, there's a physiological component, there can be an emotional component, there's a physical component, and I would say to you for sure there is a spiritual component. Now, I am not authorized to write you a prescription for medicine. You do not want me to write you a prescription for medicine. So I am not even going to touch the other side of it. I am going to simply, um, understanding this is a holistic uh, view, I'm going to take one slice and go, okay, let's look at the spiritual side of anxiety. So I think I would also uh, be amiss if I didn't at least pause and go, okay, there's a number of courses of action you can take if you struggle with anxiety. Number one, you can pray, right? Okay, we got that. You could probably read some books. That's easy. Some people would say change your diet, go see a medical professional. Some people might say take some supplements or do some different things like that. Some people might say start or change an exercise routine. Some people would say seek some counseling. I go to a counselor a few times a year just to make sure I'm okay. Do you believe that? If you don't, you might should. Because I've got news for you. There's things in your life, just like my life, that you don't know what you don't know. And you don't see what you don't see. And sometimes you need somebody else sitting across from you to go, have you considered? Has it occurred to you? Did you see? Did you notice? Healthy, healthy, in my opinion. 
The last thing you could do is even visit a doctor and they might prescribe medicine for anxiety. So I'm not, I'm not trying to simplify anxiety and say uh, it is only spiritual, but I would argue that there is always a spiritual component, and that's really what we want to look at this morning. Um, for me, when anxiety shows up, um, I get tight in my chest. My throat gets a little constricted. I was, uh, my parents, two years ago, they're actually not here today. This is a funny story. You could ask him, my dad about it at some point if you wanted to. But they were moving from their house, and they were remodeling their kitchen. And uh, they were moving in order to sell their house for, you know, increased value. They were remodeling their kitchen, and they wanted, they moved the center island in the kitchen or something. And there was a wire that they drilled a hole through the floor, and the wire needed to come up through the floor to move this island so there was electricity on the island, right? No big deal. So they called and they said, Michael, there's this wire under the house. Can you um, crawl under there and get it and, and put it up through the floor um, for us? It's no big deal. I said, sure, I can handle that. So they drew me a schematic of the house. It was a big house. And I had to crawl all the way around the perimeter, the farthest corner from the entrance to the crawl space. Like, it is way on back there. And I'm getting back there, and it's, it starts off nice and tall, and then it's getting smaller and smaller. And then, um, he, the, he, on this schematic, he was like, and there's these air conditioner duct things you've got to crawl through, and you have to crawl through two or three of them. And they're like six inches you know, wide, but they're flexible, so don't worry. You can like move them out of the way. And so I'm crawling in under this crawl space, and I have my headlamp on, and I'm getting further and further, and I'm like, this is terrible. Like, the situation is closing in on me. I am getting, and, and then I crawled through one set of the ductworks and then through a second set of ductworks, and I literally had a moment, I was like, I'm going to freak out. I don't know if I can get back out of here. I don't know. I mean, I turned around, and I was like, I'm not entirely sure how to even get back out to where I got in. I can't even see the little door of light anymore. You know, it is gone, and I'm surrounded by air conditioner ducts. And I literally had to pause and go, you know, tight throat, tight chest. <laughs> and I, had a, I, I was on the phone with him because he was telling me he was fishing the wire through the floor and trying to tell me something. And I'm like, you know, I'm having a moment down here, Dad. And I had to keep going, and it actually got to where it was about 12 inches, and I got all the way up to this wire, and I'm trying to feed this wire up or down or, or something, and I couldn't roll over, and I couldn't turn around, and, I, and it was like, I feel stuck. And for me, that's what anxiety feels like. It's like you get into this spot where you are so wedged, and you can't get out. And you might shake, and you might sweat, and you might have tightness in your chest, and you might have all number of things. And that's really what I want to kind of look at today, is, is this sort of a holistic approach to, okay, how can we then look at anxiety spiritually? How can we look at it scripturally? And then what do we do about it? Because it's a real thing, isn't it? Would anybody be willing to say, it's a real thing? It's a real thing. If you don't struggle with it, I guarantee there's somebody in your family who does. And a lot of people struggle with it and keep it um, sort of bottled up inside, but they live life like they're in that little crawl space like I was, locked up and freaked out. So the goal here is to go, okay, Lord Jesus, how can we then move past some of this? Um, I was thinking about it another way, and I think this is probably helpful. Um, in my truck right now, there's a, um, I have a check engine light on. That gives me anxiety, a very low-level anxiety. But it's been there for like two months. And I'm like, why is this on? And my mechanic has done a couple of things. And I'm like, 
Why isn't it off? Like, what's happening? Why is my check engine light on? I don't understand. And I begin to think that the check engine light is not the problem, is it? What, what is it? It's a warning. It's a symptom. Pay attention. That the truck needs to go back to who? Its maker. <laughs> the truck needs to go back to the person that created it and fix something that's going on inside of it so that check engine light can go off. Is the check engine light the end all? No, no, no. There's something going on inside. Now, I would actually say to you that anxiety is not the problem. It's a symptom, if you're looking at it strictly spiritually. It's a symptom that you need to take something in your heart or life back to the Lord Jesus, back to your maker, and ask him how to get it fixed, how to work it through. So my first point here, in, in the, I got four points for you this morning. But how do you overcome anxiety? And here's what I want to say. Pray first. If it's big enough for you to be worrying about, it's big enough for you to be... Let's say it again. If it's big enough for you to be worrying about, it's big enough for you to be... How many things... Can we just... Let's just be authentic for a second. How many things do we worry about and never take to God? I mean, how... I actually... I've got this five-year journal and... I'm going to pray you end up with one because I think it's a powerful tool in the hand of the Holy Spirit. But I look at my five-year journal and I'm consistently looking back and I am shocked at how many things are going on in my life that I fail to pray about. To actually inquire of the Lord. Lord, what is your opinion on this? What do you want me to do in this situation? How should we navigate through this issue? How do you see this uh, whole thing that's unfolding? But here is what we know, is when we go to the Lord and we begin to ask, he will speak, he will lead, he will guide. So I would actually even tell you, my five-year journal in my life is this massive faith builder because I'm uh, three years into this particular five-year journal, so I get to look back at a few years, and guess what I'm seeing? Answered prayers. It is amazing. It is amazing because I'm looking back and I'm like, oh my goodness, I prayed for that. And then look what happened. Abby's not in here this morning. My wife, she's in the nursery. But it took us five years to get pregnant with Amelia. And we got to this point where we were like breaking. We were like, talk about anxiety. It was just terrible. I mean, it was horrible. And it is amazing when I read my five-year journal and how long we prayed. And then all of a sudden, Amelia. See, it's a faith builder. And I think so many times we as Christians, because we fail to make a little note about what we're praying for, what we're going through, what we're dealing with, we're actually unable to go back on the back end and go, look what God did. That is amazing. For me, my little five-year journal is this faith builder. It's like somebody takes an inner tube inflator and... Because every morning I open that thing up and it's only got five lines. And for me, I can't handle more than five lines. That would give me anxiety. <laughs> But it's got five lines, and I can make a few notes, and it's great. <clears throat> I would say to you, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. That's what Paul just said in Philippians. We just read it. I would also suggest to you to pray first. One of the things that um, we do at our house, and you probably do it too, is you pray before you eat. And I've noticed at our house it becomes rote, right? 
It just becomes, oh, we, it's just something we do. We just go through the motions. But when you really begin to think about it, what you're doing is setting apart this meal, setting apart this time, and then setting apart yourself. You're really surrendering your life afresh to him. You're thanking him for the food in front of you. And that doesn't mean much of us to most of us overfed Americans, but to people who don't have food, that's a big deal, isn't it? That's a big deal. Pray first. We have a landscaping company, and whenever I'm on the job site, I always call a timeout, and we pray first. We just pray. It's one of those things that's sort of in my heart, in my mind, in my life. I'm going to pray first. Wherever we are, I'm going to attempt to pray first and last. We're sitting in a meeting. Pray first. Pray first. Take it to the Lord. I think a lot of us probably don't know how to pray. Um, And I think a lot of times Christians, uh, because we don't understand what Paul's saying here, take your requests, take your petitions to God, we simply don't pray. Or we don't pray out loud. It's scary to pray out loud. What I did to you just a few minutes ago, some of you were like, I can't believe he did that to us. (laughs) I can't believe you asked me to pray. I'm not comfortable praying out loud. I don't want to pray out loud. And then there's probably a lot of questions that are sort of like, how do you even pray? Some of you might even go, do I have to pray in like, you know, Bible language, King James English? What if I fall asleep praying? What if I, you know, what if my prayer isn't perfect? And I would actually say to you, have you ever read the Psalms? You ever read the Psalms? I mean, they start out, and the psalm writers are generally frustrated, disappointed, and or angry with God. And do they, do they even bat an eye at saying so? Not a bit. Now, by the end of that psalm, have they given whatever that is to the Lord, and have they come full circle around to this place where they're giving him glory and honor and praise? Yes. you have any questions about that, read Lamentations 3. Jeremiah is like, you ground my teeth to dust. He's literally talking to God. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually amazing. So I'd say two things about prayer. Pray first, but two things. Be authentic, be yourself, be where you are. And then as you pray, choose to move through your negativity, through your anxiety to a place of praise. So Philippians, we just read, it actually says, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I don't want to linger on this too much, but Abby and I have um, three kids and one on the way. And each of the kids um, present their requests to us in different ways. And you go, oh, that's simple, Michael. Okay, yeah, yeah. Follow me here a second, though. Each of the kids knows us, and they come to us in a certain way and ask in their own way, their own language for whatever they need. So here's what I would say to you. Do you think God, who created you, who has the hairs on your head numbered, or lack thereof, Do you think he knows you enough that when you bumble in, no matter how you bumble in, and get your request out on the table for him, that he is a father who can decipher what you're saying? Yes. Pray. Start a conversation. Brother Lawrence, he wrote this little book called Practicing His Presence. I love it. And he's just talking about these like breath prayers when you're washing the dishes or gardening or chopping wood. And I would actually invite you to begin in your own prayer life when you're walking down the sidewalk, when you're driving to work, when you're between little projects, when you're dealing with something with your kids, to begin to practice the presence of God just in these little, Holy Spirit, I just want to praise you. Or, Lord Jesus, would you do this? Or, Father, would you help me understand this? See, the point of the the Christian life is not a bunch of rules and religion by which we all act and look the same way. No, no, no. It's a relationship. And, And so the idea of acknowledging the very presence of God in our lives throughout the day is key. It's it's vital to this walk with the Lord. 
If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. My second point, how do you overcome anxiety? Is you remember that the Lord is near. Philippians 4.4, we just read it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Say it with me. The Lord is near. 1 Peter 5, 6, which we also read, says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, I want to pause here and go back to that Matthew passage we read. So there's this big ministry time going on. Jesus and the disciples are together, and Jesus puts them in the boat and sends them across the lake. Now, some of you are going to Israel in September of 2020. Who's going to Israel? We've got a handful of people. You're actually going to stand on this spot. Clive's going to take you to the top of a, of a place on the Sea of Galilee where historically and archaeologically and biblically, Jesus most likely stood at this very spot and sent his disciples out onto that lake, and he would have stood up on that hill, and he would have watched the disciples. That's what that passage we just read. He watched his disciples, and how long did he watch them? Anybody remember? For 30 minutes? How long? We need to go back? Who said it? Keep going. Verse 25 says, shortly before dawn, he sent them out in the afternoon, and they struggled against the wind and the rain, not for an hour, not for two hours, but for hours and hours and hours, and Jesus is up on a mountainside. Now, is his eye on them? Yeah. Is he watching them? Yeah. Is he near? Yes. Is he wanting to go to them? Yes, I would argue. But he waits and he watches. He's standing up on this hill. And he actually begins to walk out across the sea to his disciples. And I think for whatever reason, we as people, when we're in that moment, we're struggling with the oars, whatever your oars are. The waves are crashing over the boat. The wind is howling. Might be a lost job. Might be that you've lost literally a family member. Might be that there's a chronic illness going on in your life. It might be that you're struggling with something with your kids or your grandkids. It might be that there's a secret addiction you're battling. But in those moments, when we are in the heat of the storm and the waves are rolling and the wind is going and we're struggling with the oars like those disciples were that night, we tend to forget that he's near. I don't know why, but it's like the first thing that goes when things are bad, when the chips are down, when everything is like, it, we're always like, where are you, God? You know that? Where are you? And I would want to remind you that in the worst of it, in your greatest pain, in your greatest anguish, you know, if I even shared vulnerably for a second, the hardest time for me um, when I'm going through really painful things is in the middle of the night from about 3 to 5 a.m. And I get up really early. So I'm up early and I'm reading and I'm drinking a cup of coffee and I've got my five-year journal and my one-year Bible and I'm talking to the Lord and all that's good. But if I wake up real early, like 3 o'clock, there's this just, it's like I don't know what happens, but there's this thing in those middle night hours where it's like, Lord, where are you? In whatever situation 
is sort of eating at your heart, seems to rise up in that moment, and it feels most alone. Everybody's sleeping. There's no friends you can text. You're all alone. And what I've learned to begin to do, and maybe you're like me in that, or maybe you feel alone in a crowd or sitting at the office or drinking a cup of coffee at the coffee shop, but wherever you feel most alone, I would want to remind you, when you're struggling at the oars, when the wind and rain is rolling, that he is near. He is near you. His eye is on you. He's probably getting to walk, getting ready to walk towards you. It's like we forget that so quickly. Two thoughts here. Abby and I were in um, Napa Valley a few years ago. And I'll never forget because I'm talking with a vintner, um, a winemaker. And they're standing there talking to us. And they said, the most uh, wonderful wines in the world are made of grapes that struggle the most. You give, he literally sat there talking to us. And I'm making these scriptural applications. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. I'm totally zoned out on the wine. But, but he's going, listen, listen, listen. When the grapes struggle... The fruit is actually smaller on the vine. They're smaller grapes, but they're just full of flavor, and they make the best wine. And I sat there, and I went, Lord Jesus, do I know you? That there are times when you sit on the hill, and you watch us struggling with the oars, the wind and the rain, your hearts to walk out to us but you know that you're doing something in our heart, that you're accomplishing something, that you've not left us, that you are near, that your eye is on us. He has not left you in your darkest hour. He is near. A few weeks ago, I did a sermon on the theology of suffering. I think it's on our podcast, but I I got all the kids up front and did a kid's sermon. I don't even remember it, but we were actually talking about Elijah in the cave, and you remember there's the big earthquake, and there's the wind, and there's the fire, and then there's a whisper. Why is God in the whisper? If someone's far away, do I whisper or do I yell? I'm going to yell. When someone's close, what do I do? Why did God whisper? Because he's near. He is near. In your greatest time of suffering, he is close. The third point that I'd want to point out, and I think Paul does an amazing job, as we just read, but so does that gospel account in Matthew, but is how do you overcome anxiety? You recover your awe. You recover your awe. The disciples are on the lake that night, and the storm is raging. The waves and wind are rolling, and it says they're terrified. They're scared to death the boat's going to sink. Twice in my life, I've been on a boat, and it was at risk of sinking. Twice in my life, those two times, I was scared to death. True stories. I guarantee you the disciples were absolutely terrified that the boat was going to sink and they were going to die. And when Jesus came walking out on water, what happened? All of a sudden, all of that fear and all of that terror changes to awe because they see God. 
And all of a sudden, the wind is diminished in their minds. The waves are diminished in their minds. Is it still happening in that moment? Has Jesus calmed it yet? No. It's still raging. The wind is still howling. The waves are still crashing. They're still soaking wet. They're still huffing and puffing at the oars. But all of a sudden, Christ Jesus walks out on that water. And all of a sudden, everything seems to melt away, and they are filled with awe. Sometime in the 70s or 80s, people started saying, oh, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, brah. Well, you know, that's, that, that word came in like vogue and casual conversation. And I was actually standing on a landscaping job site with Tim Wright the other day. And Tim Wright said, you know, this is an awesome job. And then he looked at me and said, I don't say that very much. And I, my interest was kind of peaked, so I'm sitting there listening. And he said, I, and I don't say that very much because that word is reserved for God. I loved that. I made note. I was like, oh, that's good. Awe is a, the definition of awe is it's a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. In that moment, the disciples are no longer fearing the wind and fearing the waves. They are now fearing God. It's a strong feeling of respect or amazement brought on by something that is beautiful or sacred. Webster says that awesome means inspiring awe. If I looked at where I've walked as an American Christian, I would actually say to you that I've been, and the American church has been guilty of reducing Christianity to weak, self-help Christianity. We've lost our awe. We've lost our sense of wonder that this is the God that created the heavens and the earth. This is the God that came and walked the earth. This is the God that went to Calvary and was crucified. This is the God that overcame the grave. This is the God that beat death and hell. This is the God that resurrected. This is the God that wants you to now surrender your life to him. Not just once, but every single day. And he wants to fill you and walk with you and speak to you and work through you. It's like we've lost the awe. We've lost this sense of wonder. We've lost this sense of amazement. And you know what? We have made a couple of strategic decisions here, and i got to be really careful. I I'm not against high-production churches, okay? I'm not against lights and fog, and I don't, re I don't really care. It's not all that important to me as long as the gospel is central. But we've made a decision that I don't really want you impressed by our AV system. I don't really want you impressed by what I'm wearing. I want you to come in here and experience the God of the universe. It is simple. This is a simple little cafeteria. But what we are doing on Sunday mornings all across the nation of America, in my opinion, is a glory battle. Every single church is essentially, if you reduce it down on Sunday morning, is it going to be God that's glorified or is it going to be us that's glorified? And pastors are in the most dangerous seat in the house. Because the question is, are people going to begin to elevate pastors and are pastors going to let them be, themselves be elevated? And the reason I get up here and even open up my own weaknesses and vulnerabilities is to say, I am just like you. And I have to every day go, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? Lord Jesus, would you fill me? Lord Jesus, Jesus, would you save me again? 
Because I've been saved, I'm being saved, and I'll be saved. I've been filled, I'm being filled, and I will continue to be filled. And the moment I separate myself from the rest of us church people, I'm at risk. Now listen to me. Listen to me. We have lost our awe in America. The church has lost her awe. And you want to create anxiety inside of your own life? You make yourself the biggest thing in your world. You make your problem the biggest thing in your world. And you know what? That is definitely going to produce some anxiety. But when you serve a God that created the heavens and the earth, when you serve a God who is a holy God and a righteous God, a God who walks on water, a God who whispers because he's near, that is awe-inspiring. And I would actually invite us as a church to begin. I would invite you to begin the journey of going, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me because I've lost my awe. I don't care about a social club. I don't really care how many seats we have in our auditorium. What I actually care about is are we a group of people who have been so transformed by the love of Jesus that we are going to give everything we've got to change the trajectory of a city. That's what I want to see. And I don't care if you like me or you think I'm cool or my haircut's funny or whether you think our production is good enough or whether you like Perry's worship today. What I care about is recovering the awe of God in our midst. Because when you recognize how awesome our God is, all of our problems are diminished. Our problems will be diminished. The wind and the waves and that throat-closing, chest-tightening anxiety that we all feel from time to time suddenly goes, our God is an awesome. Tim, I'm so grateful you said that to me the other day because I use the word awesome all the time. And I went, huh, I'm going to change that. I went home and I repented in my own little spot where I sit with the Lord. And I went, Lord, I've lost my awe. And I'm sitting in an American church that's lost her awe. Would you start with us? Anxiety, fear, Wind, waves, you fill in any situation. Everything is diminished in the presence of an awesome God. I would invite you in the quietness of your own heart to repent and recover your awe. My fourth point. I really love this. This is special in my heart, in my mind, in my experience. But my fourth point, how do you overcome anxiety? You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that in due time he might lift you up. Now, go back with me to the story we just read. What happened? Jesus is walking on water, and I love Simon Peter. I mean, he's so, I just love him. He says what everybody else is thinking but is too scared to say. And Jesus is out there walking on water. And he's like, Lord, if it's you, what's he say? Tell me to come to you. And what's Jesus say? Come. 
And Simon Peter gets himself up out of the boat. If you've ever been in a boat in five, six, eight, ten foot seas and it's rocking and rolling, I just imagine Peter in this big storm and all of a sudden he's bucking the, you know, the side of the boat and trying to get over and then standing on the water. Can you even imagine that? He is standing on the water. And then like so many of us, all of a sudden his, shift, his focus shifts off of the Lord Jesus and he loses his And he starts to sink. He starts to sink. He notices the wind and he notices the waves. And suddenly he is sinking in these waves. He's afraid he's going to drown. He probably is co- he's fully clothed and his clothes are really, really heavy. And he's all of a sudden so scared. And then what does he do? He reaches up. He reaches up and he calls out. I'm convinced that when he wrote 1 Peter so many years later, and when he penned that beautiful little passage, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that in due time he might lift you. Come on. He's sinking beneath the wind and beneath the waves, and he humbles himself under the mighty hand of the Lord Jesus, that in due time the Lord Jesus might lift him. Don't tell me he wasn't remembering that story and that moment when he penned those words. Don't tell me he wasn't reflecting back in his own mind going, oh my goodness, that's not only true on the Sea of Galilee that night, that's true in my life and in your life and in all of our lives. And the moment we are willing to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, he will lift us. Come on, church. We have bred an arrogant American church that is more concerned with what we look like and how many seats we have and where we meet. And you know what? I love that we're in a cafeteria with old dirty tables around us. I love it because I don't care about anything but expanding the gospel of Christ Jesus. And I have no doubt God will put us in a building at some point. But you know what? If we ever stop expanding the gospel of Christ Jesus, if we ever stop humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and if we ever stop participating with him in reaching out to a lost and broken and dying world, may he shut the doors of the church because I don't want to play church I don't care I'm not here because I have to be I'm here because I choose to be because there is no one else that has the words of life than my Jesus And there is no other thing that I will give my life to but advancing the cause of the gospel of Christ Jesus and participating with him and seeing a city transformed. Lord, would you use the likes of us? Perry, would you come up? Raised hands. We just talked about Peter raising his hands. And what did the Lord Jesus do? Reached out and lifted him up. Raised hands symbolize two things. Raised hands first symbolize surrender. I surrender. I give up. Come out with your arms up. What is that? Surrender. Raised hands symbolize something else. When the World Cup team wins, how do they run around the field? Symbolizes victory. 
symbolizes surrender and it symbolizes victory. Read somebody's take on this and I went, oh, I love that. Here's what I want to invite you into this morning. You might have never been a person who worships with hands raised. And I'd never tell you that that's the only way to worship God, but I can take you to passage after passage after passage in Scripture where they raised their hands. Perry's going to sing a closing song, and I actually want to invite you to raise your hands with me in just a second as a sign first of surrender. And then as a sign secondly of victory in Christ Jesus. Because my Jesus paid it all. He has given us victory over sin and death and hell. I'm convinced He wants a people that is free of anxiety and free of fear. I'm also convinced that anxiety and fear are real things in our lives. If you struggle with it here today, please be encouraged and validated. But I also believe that he requires that the posture of our hearts as Christians is that we live like this, both in victory and in surrender. Would you stand? And if you're willing, would you raise your hands with me and sing this closing song?